on this episode of Why Watch That. You want people's money. Is this a charity? Is this for UNICEF? <laughs> UNICEF. <laughs> Who would have predicted that he would do a story set in Baltimore that is all about corruption and drugs and crime and uh, crooked cops and everything that's bad about Baltimore? Who would have thought that David Simon would have said, hey, this is the story for me? What a shock! All these criminals and unsavories, because that's what you are, including you, Ruth. I don't care who your father was, who your family is, who were their fathers? Like, I'm sick and tired of hearing it. You're criminals and unsavories, and that's fine. I don't care about Ruth and the kids and whoever, and Ben and Wyatt and, and the father and whoever else. Why watch that as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head to head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome, Welcome to, to Why, Why Watch, Watch That. Critic? Yes. Critic! What? Have you heard? We just got a buy me a coffee page. Uh-oh. <laughs> Boy, come on. It's a place where listeners can support our work for as little as $5. $5. Pretty much the price of a coffee. I don't drink no coffee. What you talking about? Well, you don't drink anything but water <laughs> and eat raw potatoes. But <laughs> I guess they can buy you a popcorn. How about that? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, everyone, look. Visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that to support our work or purchase our valuable resources. Yeah, you know what? We just added the TV trackers to help you curate a collection of shows you'll love to watch. So find this and more ways to support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that. So Critic, are you going to buy me a coffee? Maybe. All right, guys, we're back with another episode of why watch that. Critic, how you doing? I'm good producer. So it's becoming a tradition. Give the listeners, you know, an update what's happening. Yes, yes, yes. So we're in the same place as we were before. People are interested in partnering up with the good old critic and going toe to toe to see if they are going to be the next. Why watch that (laughs) co-host? So we're going to start that. We're going to start that process um, middle of May. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll get an opportunity to start to hear some different voices. And like I say, remember this one, because I will not be as, I will not be frequenting the show as much as time goes on. I will fade back into the background and only be here for special occasions. Um, yeah. And also next week, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a pull do that because critics trying to keep me here with them, but, um, <laughs> next week we're gonna we're gonna take a an official pause guys we know like we're in pause season kind of next week we're taking a a pause as well so those are our um those are our updates critic anything else you want to add to that mm, no so um we'll be back in two weeks yes right so and remember this is intermittent right now so we'll come to you when we can and 
you know, we'll work through it until we're back into the full swing of things. Be yes. interesting to see what that is. We don't even yeah, know yet. We don't oh, know. My goodness. <laughs> but it's shaping up to be something interesting. Well, I'm here. Uh, yeah. Now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Before we start, I do want to say something that is on my heart and mind. Viola Davis, producer, mm-hmm. did an interview with Variety um, after the First Lady, her portrayal of Michelle Obama, which I reviewed. You know, critics haven't been kind. Mm. And, you know, she talked about how, you know, not everything is perfect and, you know, all that kind of stuff when you're performing and when you're playing someone like Michelle Obama, whom everyone knows, you know, that can be difficult. Are you doing too much? You could be doing too little. And you heard what I said about it. Yeah. It was a lot. Now, I didn't go for Viola because that just wasn't in my review. That wasn't Mm -hmm. my perspective on it. My perspective was the show. I think a part of the issue was that some people were going all the way and some people weren't. So it just made it stand out more than it otherwise would have. Mm-hmm. But the thing I do have to say, cause she said it was incredibly hurtful. Yeah. I, read some I do. Really yeah. Bad things too. Well, yeah. Now, yeah. And, it, it, and this is where also as a critic, like, how do you say this stuff? Right. Is always a question. I don't even really consider myself a critic, to be honest, even though I'm called critic on the show <laughs> as a title. I don't even think of it that way. I think of myself as outside of these people who are mm. critics because mm. um, it can be a lot of groupthink and criticism and how they just view things. Uh, but outside of that, this is the thing that she said that I have to take an issue with. She said critics serve absolutely no purpose. Mm. Now, <laughs> <laughs> okay, <I'm> Viola. <laughs> Viola Davis. First time I saw her was in the year 1999 at the Public Theater. I've said this before on the show. She was in a, a play with Felicia Rashad, and I wanted to see Felicia Rashad on stage. Never seen her live. Viola Davis was, you know, not famous. And Felicia Rashad was great. I mean, she's great on stage. But I was saying to myself, I was like, whew, Felicia's great. I'm so happy because I didn't want that to be a disaster. But who is that? That's what I was. I was like, who is this Viola Davis person? Who Uh in the world is that? So this is before, you know, traffic. And then people are going, she was in traffic. Yeah, she had a a minor role in traffic. City, City of Angels on TV and then doubt happened and all of that. And then her, you know, film TV career took off. So I am fully appreciative of Viola Davis's skills. However, you are being paid <laughs> to act and you're a star. And the product that you're producing, because that's what it is. I know it's art. You're an artist. That's why it's, it's personal, whatever. It is a product that you're selling. This show is on Showtime. People pay for Showtime. Outside of that, if you're paying or if there's advertising and you're getting paid, then you need to be ready for criticism. Why shouldn't you be criticized? You want people's money. Is this a charity? Is this for UNICEF? (laughs) UNICEF. (laughs) No. Like, you got to, like, settle down a bit. Did they come for you and how to get away with murder? I don't remember. They could have. <laughs> I mean, you know, they could have. <laughs> they didn't. 
Like people appreciate what Viola Davis does as an actor. And like she said, you know, not everything's perfect, but <laughs> you're just going to have to deal with this. You don't have to be an actor. <laughs> you can give it all up and become a private person. Go ahead. Like, I mean, or just do things for charity. Mm-hmm. And then you can tell them to shut up. It's for charity. <laughs> I mean, and I still want to criticize you. That's just what's going to happen. It, but at least then, see, for me, I would uh-huh. listen. If, if uh-huh. someone's going, look, I didn't get paid. You're not paying to see this. It is simply for charity. That's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I mean, if you go to like, if you go to your kids play at school, like <laughs> you're not going to criticize that. It's a completely different thing. Right. But once you start getting paid to produce a product that people are paying for, like you're going to have to calm down. I mean, my job outside of why I watch that, I get criticized and I get paid and it directly affects my pay and work. Not secondarily. So, you know, whether the critics serve a purpose or not, I have a lot of issues with criticism as well. It's not the point. The point is, you know what you signed up for. And you're rewarded for that. Hmm. Okay? Now, all right, that's that's all I had to say. All right. Now, critics, I love you, Viola. Soapbox and giving Viola some love. <laughs> some tough love, but love nonetheless. Yeah, I mean, come on now. We are doing a TV talk episode. The Why Watch That Talk. And we are kicking off with our TV series premieres. The first one up for discussion is Gaslit. (laughs) Good old Gaslit brought to us by Stars. It is an American political thriller, a limited series, um... And it is based on a podcast called Slow Burn by Leon Nefak. Uh, probably. Mm-hmm. All right. It stars Julia Roberts, Sean Penn, Dan Stevens, Betty Gilpin, Shay Wingham, um, Dorothy Camp, all these good people. And mm-hmm. the critic is going to tell us what he thinks and who should be watching. Wow. I mean, Julia Roberts and Sean Penn. I mean, this cast is interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, this is surrounding Watergate. Yes, it's another thing about mm. Watergate, but from a different angle. So we're dealing with the Attorney General, John Mitchell, played by Sean Penn, and his wife really is at the center, Martha, played by Julia. Mm-hmm. And Martha Mitchell was someone who had no problem talking to the press about anything. What's going on in the White House with the First Lady, you know, her spat with the First Lady and just, you know, would wake up in the middle of the night and call reporters and just spew. Now, her husband, he's like, Martha, (laughs) you got to stop doing this. Oh. So that's the central dynamic. Now, they start before the whole Watergate thing happens. Mm. And John Dean, now remember John Dean's role in Watergate, comes into a meeting with Attorney General Mitchell, with his right-hand man, and they are like, look, the president, you know, all of them, they, they asked for you by name to start this whole process that led to Watergate. Of course, they don't call it that. Are you interested? 
John Dean's not quite comfortable, but he's like, look, since I was asked for by name, I got the perfect guy who can do this and I'll oversee him. And the perfect guy is G. Gordon Liddy. <laughs> I mean, this is great. <laughs> and Dan Stevens plays John Dean. G. Gordon Liddy is played by Shea Wiggum. Mm. Uh, wonderfully played by Shay in the first episode <laughs> that I've seen. So G. Gordon Liddy comes in to John Mitchell's office with this plan that is crazy. Crazy specific, and it will be crazy if it's executed. Mm-hmm. And G. Gordon Liddy is very clear on how you live life and what's going on in the world. You know, this is a dog-eat-dog kind of place. You know, he he was in Cuba you know, fighting with revolutionaries, whatever he's talking about. You know, he had to prove his worth to them by putting his hand over a flame and letting it burn. I mean, this man is not oh, playing. He, you know, because, you know, people are like, is that true what happened? He has a bandage on his hand. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is G. Gordon Liddy. He ain't playing. Now, <laughs> you can do with that what you will. Now, what happens is that meeting doesn't go so well for Gordon, but he's not one to give up. He gets a little bit of advice from his son, and it, a light bulb goes off. He has an idea. And this does get him into the good graces of the attorney general. And we know it has to because Watergate happens. Mm -hmm. Now, when it comes to Martha, if we go back to her, you know, she's the attorney general's wife. There are like secret service kind of people there, you know, while she's doing these interviews. And one of these uh, people, James McCord, played by Chris Bauer, well, he gets roped into the whole G. Gordon Liddy entourage going to Watergate. How? Why? Well, they have a little meeting. It's an interesting one. <laughs> okay. It's in the break room. And G. Gordon Liddy is angry about something. And in walks James. And James kind of looks at Gordon as like, hmm, I get you. <laughs> now, when it comes to John Dean, John Dean's really trying to negotiate all of this stuff and stay above board as much as possible. Mm. He also, he likes women. We can say that. We see an early scene where he's with a certain woman and he gets a little clue about what he might be in for. But he does meet a flight attendant, which is interesting because we'll be talking about the flight attendant later on in this episode. And this flight attendant, her nickname is Mo. Mm. And that's played by Betty Gilpin. Now, they don't quite agree politically on things. They meet on a date, you know, and John is all about his car. You know, he's talking to her. And then finally, the person who's in charge of the cars comes out. He turns immediately to them. It's like, look, take care of this car. Forgetting Mo completely. But Mo does not like Republicans. John's like, why? I mean, why? Oh, you, you know, that whole thing. And so they don't, they kind of hit it off, but not quite. And, you know, they're awkward moments. How is this going to progress? We know that she becomes his wife. What's that like? Well, all these people end up at a party at the Mitchells. All of them. And how is John Dean really viewed by the White House? Because John Mitchell told him, they asked for you by name, all of the stuff I was telling them about you, and so on. 
What does that really mean from the White House's perspective? And how is that going to affect John? And then, of course, we know where this is going. But the real question is, what's Martha's role? Now, what I have to say about the show is this. I want them to always take their character seriously. Mm. Always. If they did, they could have something. Ridiculous personalities work best when it's serious. Mm. It makes it funny. Mm -hmm. You've got to take it seriously. And I don't mean the actors. I mean the people presenting it, directing, editing, all of that. There's a way to do it where everybody, you really have to say, no, let's take them seriously. And what you do is you have the more reasonable characters who do the comment as reasonable reasonable people would. That's what I wish. They do it sometimes, but not always. When they do it, it works. When they don't, it's not as fully compelling or consistent as it could be. And what happens is the message gets muddled. Because you're like, okay, is this a joke? Are we taking this seriously? Like, what's your comment on Watergate? This is just one episode, of course. But they only got eight. So, you know, that's my question for them. I didn't mind watching it. I just see a better show in there than what they have. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I think for the performances, really, Shay Wiggum as G. Gordon Liddy, it could be his show. Like, they could do a show on G. Gordon Liddy. Just that's the show I want to watch. Not that Julia and Sean are doing a bad job. They're doing a good job. It's just it's something about Shay as G. Gordon Liddy. When he comes into the show, it's a different show. Mm-hmm. Now, Martha and John, they have a tumultuous uh, relationship. But it still pales in comparison to G. Gordon Liddy. So I don't know if that's a show problem or what. But so far, that's what I'm seeing. For Dan playing John Dean, fine. Um, You know, Dan is not American. And the British people like to come for our actors doing their dialect. So I'm going to return the favor. He's not quite John Dean here. It's not terrible, Mm -hmm. you know, but not quite. Like, I can hear him doing what he thinks John Dean sounds like. That's what I would, how I would put it. There you go. We'll, We'll see how this moves forward, of course. I just, I just wish they took everything seriously. It would, it would, it would just work a little better. Mm. So there you go. Now, if you know, it's kind of like uh, I want it to be more like the Big Short. Okay. Like if you're that kind of person, maybe this will work for you. Mm-hmm. It's just not as crisp as it could be. There you go. Got it. Alrighty. Well, that's gaslit. Yeah, Bruce is going. I'm not watching stars. Oh yeah, totally not. Um, <laughs> And I love Julia Robinson, Sean, but this won't get my time. Um, <laughs> let's see if this next one from but our you see TV. Sean Pitt in prosthetics on that, you know. Oh. They have them in the- <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe I'll watch the trailer or something. Um, <laughs> next TV series premiere we have up is uh, We Own This City, brought to us by HBO. Um, this is an American miniseries based on a nonfiction book of the same name by Baltimore Sun reporter, Justin Fenton. Um, it is starring John Berndahl, um, Wumi Mosako, um, Jamie Hector, <laughs> Josh Charles, and McKinley Bleacher. But Wumi is from that show with, um, with Journey Smollett and Justin something major, maybe. 
Oh, Jonathan Majors. Oh, yes, yes. Now I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Lovecraft Country. Lovecraft Country. Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. great. Okay, all right. Yes. So, yeah. But this is something that she's doing new. We own this city. Brought to us by HBO Critics. So, <laughs> tell us about it. And <laughs> who should be watching? <laughs> See, with Moonbee, I do not even think of Lovecraft. Oh. Uh, Me is a British actor. Um, and I always go back to, to Kiri. Um, oh. So... To me, that, you know, because that was just, I, I loved what they did there mm-hmm. in that show, um, which might still be on Hulu. Mm. Oh. Um, so, you know, I really enjoyed her. She was in Luther, you mm, know, right. she was in Loki, and so on and so forth. I'm not going to go through a whole filmography. <laughs> now, We Own This City. It spans, I think, from 2016 to 2017. There really are two different timelines going on. There's six episodes here. I've seen the first. And this is, like you said, a miniseries. This is it, the whole story. And it's based on something that actually happened in Baltimore with the Baltimore Police Department and the gun task, uh, gun trace task force. That whole scandal and, you know, racketeering and charges and convictions. Mm-hmm. Now, it comes to us from David Simon. What a shock that hmm. Damon si- David Simon is doing this story. Who would have predicted that he would do a story set in Baltimore that is all about corruption and drugs and crime and uh, crooked cops and everything that's bad about Baltimore? Who would have thought that David Simon would have said, hey, this is the story for me? What a shock! Now, before I come back to that... Oh, my goodness. So John is playing Sergeant Wayne Jenkins. Really, he's the head of this gun trace task force for the BPD. And at the opening, he's talking to some cops, you know, telling them the ropes. It's John Bernthal, you can imagine. Like, (laughs) he's always going to go for it. So that's one thing. And we see some of the other cops involved in this force. We see how they operate. Look, the grift is real, okay? They want to find these guns. They want to find some money. They want to find drugs because they want to line their pockets. That's what's happening here. And of Mm -hmm. course, they don't treat the denizens of the great city of Baltimore well. Mm -hmm. Now, one cop in particular who doesn't is played by Josh Charles uh, Herschel, Officer Herschel. You know, he just bothers people. He'll toss your car. You know, he'll take your wallet and throw the cards around looking for what he wants, even though you've done nothing. Mm. Now, because of that kind of behavior, they come to the attention of the Civil Rights Division of the Department of Justice. And this is where Wu Mi's character comes in, attorney Nicole Steele. So she's assigned by them to start investigating what's happening in Baltimore. And this Hersel person comes to her attention. What's she going to find out? Because somebody tells her, look, we have a list of cops you can't even put on a stand because they perjured themselves. Mm-hmm. And this guy is about to get on that list. So like, that's what he said. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He's okay. about to be on the list. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. So she's like, hmm. Now also connecting all of this, it's really a three-pronged thing. So we have the Gun Trace Task Force. We have the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department. And we also have the Harford County Narcotics uh, investigators. 
So Harford County is a county in Maryland, if you don't know. And they're investigating almost like this uh, heroin drug ring that's going on. And what they find is the people they're tracking are being tracked by this gun trace task force. Why? Something is up and it ain't right. And one of the investigators is like, look, I'm going to report this. Not knowing what he's reporting, but, you know, I'm just going to let them know what we found out. You know, if we have a tracker on a car and we find another tracker, why? Now, that's like the 2016 stuff. 2017 stuff, the FBI is investigating. And they're in particular uh, grilling G-Money. Now, you might be going, G-Money like some criminal. No, he's on this task force. <laughs> I mean, now we didn't make this up. These are real people. Like, it's hilarious. So, and that's played by McKinley McKin- uh, Belcher Third, And his full name is Mamadou Gondo. He's like, look, just call me G-Money. <laughs> so they're grilling him about what's happening here. Now, it starts early on with him. And then, so you got to kind of follow where they're going, where the timeline is. And you know where all of this is leading. Again, John Bernthal's sergeant, he's the head of the task force. So how are they going to get him? And what's going to be his response when they do? Now, I said it comes from David Simon. Who would have thunk it? I don't know. None of us would have predicted that David Simon would do something like this. I mean, you know, now you might be going, who's David Simon if you don't know him? Well, The Wire. Oh, oh, of course. The Wire. Yes. Now it makes sense. But that's not all. The Corner. Homicide Life on the Street producer. All from David Simon. (laughs) And this is the fourth show about Baltimore corruption that he's decided to do. (laughs) Well, he has a brand. I mean, yeah. I mean, this is just an H-hole. He should call that his next show, H-hole, colon Baltimore. Baltimore. (laughs) (laughs) Now, some of you are going, oh, my goodness, critic, how dare you? I'm a Baltimorean. I can say whatever I want. (laughs) I was born and raised in Baltimore. Thank you. Okay. I lived in Baltimore City during the 80s and 90s. Have a seat. And he still doesn't know how to pull a razor blade from under his tongue. <laughs> what? <laughs> the la- Allegedly, all Baltimoreans can do this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> See, this is what happens when people when people are watching The Wire and think they know everything about Baltimore City. They've never been to these places. They've never met any of these people, but they think it's authentic. Oh, you know, it's gritty and real. How do you know? Because some of these people said, I'm looking at y'all like, how do you know? How do you know what's authentic? Now, I do appreciate hiring, you know, local people. Mm -hmm. I do. I know some people who get in these shows, (laughs) and I'm glad they got work. They deserve it. Thank you for that. But that ain't got nothing to do with what I'm saying. Now, when it comes to David's work for me, and he created this with George Pelicanos, who was involved in some of those other shows, uh, The Wire, for instance. When it comes to David's work for me, I quickly know whether I'm going to like it. When The Wire started, the first episode, I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. <laughs> like when, I'm sorry, I think it's the end of the first episode when, when the guy's like, my broom, my shoes, it's ridiculous. And that's authentic. Okay, all right. <laughs> I've never heard anybody in Baltimore put those words together like that. Never. My broom, my shoes. Never. <laughs> 
Oh man. <laughs> Maybe you have producer. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. <laughs> the producer is a Baltimorean as well. Yes. Okay. So like the wire, uh, to a lesser extent, the corner and, and homicide, uh, Treme, he's also done producer and the plot against America, which for some reason has nothing to do with this. <laughs> like those shows to me, the timing and delivery don't work so well. Like I, I know it, like once it starts for his shows, it's like, is it going to click? Is it going to land or not? Like it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. Those to me, no. Now, if you liked any of that, okay, I'm not going to get in your way. But don't come to me because you can't dispute the timing and the delivery. And if you're unsure, I could sit you down and show you. And then you'd be like, stop, you're ruining it. Ruining it for me. Ruining it. Go back. So hot my it, room, hot my it. shoes. How did we own the city stack up as far as when you well, started watching it? Did you know yes. if you were going to like it or not? I'm not there yet. Very <laughs> okay. good, producer. I like that. Now, I won't go to the other side of the coin when the okay. timing and delivery do work. David's done Generation Kill. Great miniseries. Show Me a Hero with Oscar Isaac. Enjoyed that. That was in New York, not in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And New Jersey, wherever. The Deuce in New York, 42nd Street. Like that, except for the very end. Mm-hmm. So where does this land? Uh, closer to the former. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> now, uh, I'll come back to that. Um, also with this stuff, see, here's the thing. Okay. If we're doing these like crime drama TV shows, two stick out in my mind. One is Oz, which is grit. You know, not a lot of money went into it. Very disturbing, but it lands. Or you go the other direction, like the night of, which the ref and I constantly talked about Mm -hmm. more polished, very, very upsetting with Riz Ahmed in the lead, along with John Turturro and others. I want one or the other, not something in the middle. Mm -hmm. Not we kind of doing it. Because when I was watching this, and all of these shows I mentioned, by the way, are on HBO, every single one. (laughs) Now, David had nothing to do with Oz or the Night Up. So that's outside of that. Mm -hmm. But watching this first episode, I was asking myself, what's the point of all this? Why am I watching these particular moments with these particular people saying these particular things. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Why is this essential? Mm. Now, a lot of it is we're building up to something later on. No, right now, why did you choose this particular moment? Why? I don't know. I can't answer that. Now, sometimes I could. Most of the time, I was just like, <laughs> like, why am I following all of these people? I don't even mm. know what it means to follow them. I don't even know what they're talking about. Because I don't have the energy to follow it. And sometimes it sounded like a lesson that I've already learned. A lot of the civil rights stuff, it's just like they're like literally, oh, this is how it's supposed to work. It's like, who talks like this? No, (laughs) not working. The scene with the mayor, I was just like, no, no. And this is the thing. They're going, we're being real, you know, real. That doesn't mean that you aren't responsible for urgency. Mm. And it also doesn't mean that this isn't entertainment. It is. Mm -hmm. You're not doing eyes on the prize, (laughs) which is more entertaining. (laughs) I mean, you're not. You do have to entertain. Now, I don't mean we should be laughing and, you know, being happy. Entertainment grabs you in some way. That's, I, I mean, you know. Now, unlike The Wire, the acting's all on the same page here. 
because that was my main problem with the wire i was just like okay we we <laughs> we got the gamut of acting here and it's not all coming together <laughs> uh but this isn't as ridiculous now is that a good thing because i could watch the wire at times and be entertained laughing at them now i know that's not <laughs> what they wanted <laughs> okay. especially when they started going producer into the public school system uh-huh. like some of that was hilarious i was just laughing like this is like you know but i that's something now this is obviously going to develop into something but okay i mean because the thing is you take away music and all this other stuff when you take away those tricks then it's even more important that the beats land that they're in rhythm, it, it just, it's a higher bar. The musicality of the scenes don't go out the window because you're being real, in quotes. <laughs> just look at their trailer. Look at it when they put music and cut it. Look at the difference and then look at the show. Mm. Now, okay, it is one episode, all right. And this is the this is a certain kind of show that certain people think they're supposed to like. You can read in that what you want. So it's like, if you take the wire... It's a bit more polished, though, a bit less ridiculous. How does that sound to all of you? Like, it'll work for certain viewers, and it's only six episodes. So there you go. All right. I'm just I'm just tired of it, producer. We got... When, look, if it's a show about Baltimore, south side of Chicago, Detroit, you know what you're going to get. Why didn't somebody do something else that's interesting? Not that I mind doing crime sh- stuff. That's fine. But you better do it well. Mm. And all these critics, oh, as you know, it's so all Is it? It's gritty and real. Oh, all right. <laughs> what we're going to do, producers, our own show, a crime. We're not going to have any music. We're going to just like film it on our iPhones mm-hmm. and just have people say stuff that teaches people lessons they should already know. Mm. And then we'll get all the praise. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'm Let's go for it. All right. Well, if you like that, we We can put it in Sandtown in Baltimore. In Sandtown. (laughs) Or North and P. North and P. I knew you knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Park Heights. (laughs) Cherry Hill. (laughs) That's a Baltimore joke. Anyway. Well, yeah. Next up on on the, uh, the, the roster TV season premiere. And uh, we have uh, The Flight Attendant, which the critic referenced in the review on Gaslit, brought to us by HBO Max. And The Flight Attendant is an American dark comedy drama mystery thriller television series. (laughs) All right. Um, Developed by Steve Yoki. And it's based on a novel of the same name by uh, Chris um, yeah, probably. Um, it stars uh, Kaylee Coco. Um, Coco. Okay, Coco. Uh, my uh, <laughs> Michelle Hausman, uh, <laughs> which is cook in Italian. Coco. Coco. Um, <laughs> Zosia Menet, T.R. Knight, Michelle Gomez. And a collection of other artists to bring this story to life. Now, the critic's going to tell us um, what is it about and who should be watching. Yeah. So, I mean, if you saw the first season, well, you know um, that we have some craziness. Now, from 
what I can tell, the second season has gone beyond that book you were mentioning, producer. Mm-hmm. So this is something they've come up with on their own. And the first two episodes I've seen so far. Now, we have Kaylee's character, and that's Cassie. And we know Cassie is the flight attendant. We know that she's had her struggles with alcohol. She's now an AA, you know, but she doesn't understand what the second A means. <laughs> so we have that. She also, inexplicably, is a CIA asset. Now, this is because remember in season one, she was partying out with someone who was, you know, on the plane. And, you know, they had a good time that night. When she woke up, he did not. He was dead next to her in the bed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so she had to figure out who put her in this situation. Is she being set up? And so on and so forth. We have her uh, co-flight attendants, one of whom the main one, her supposed friend, who was really the head flight attendant played by Rosie Perez. We found out that Rosie Perez's character, Megan, while she had some stuff she was going through, is she spying? Is she involved in illegal things? Because now she's out of the country and hiding. Mm. She's still in contact with Cassie, though. What's that about? They really haven't gone that far with her story yet in this season. She ain't a flight attendant no more. I'm going to tell you that. She's out of that business. There's also another flight attendant who we find out, wait, he was working with the CIA. Yes. What? Hmm. So, you know, now he he tells Cassie, look, what you do and what I do is not the same. Because <laughs> even Cassie's handler is like, you're not an agent. You're an asset. So, you know, this is what we <laughs> want you to do. So they give her assignments. You know, she's doing a flight attendant thing. But while you're on your layover, look, here's a guy just... Stick with him in the hotel, but don't follow him outside of the hotel. What does Cassie do? Like, follow you, we him, know. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, because of that, she finds that there's someone who looks just like her who's involved in these shenanigans. Is she being set up again? Who is this person? They have the same back tattoo as her. Blonde. What's going on? Now, in season one, remember, she talked to the guy who ended up dead next to her, played by Michelle Wiesman, uh, Alex, in her mind. She had her mind palace. So he showed up there. Who's in her mind palace now? It's herself. But what does that mean? Now, she also has her best friend, Annie, played by Zasha. And Annie is trying to get, you know, a job as a lawyer. She was a lawyer. We saw how that went. Now, she, you know, she wants to have a job. How is she going to get that? She comes to visit Cassie, who's now moved to L.A. from New York, stay in her house. And we find that Cassie now has a boyfriend who seems to be perfect. What's that about? And we know that Annie has her boyfriend who wants to be more than that. But what does Annie want? So Cassie, of course, tells Annie, tells the boyfriend what's going on. They've got to get down to the bottom of this together. She's, you're not supposed to tell people you're working with the CIA, you know, but you know. And her brother comes to visit as well. Davey, played by T.R. Knight. Does he find out? Because at AA, 
you know, there are people there that Cassie has relationships with. Her sponsor is played by Shori Agdashalu. It's like, okay, what's she doing here? And there is a new person who showed up and is very interested in Cassie's story and is very interested, therefore, in Davy. Why? So, you know, where is all of this going? It's it's craziness. There you go. So season one of The Flight Attendant, I enjoyed a lot. I thought it was very entertaining. Um, in this season so far, it seems a little sillier. Mm. And this is why I think that's the case. All of that silliness from season one was grounded by a dead body. How did it get there? And this is the person she's talking to. That helped to give this some weight, just enough of it. Without that, it's like just flying around. It's a lot of Kaylee doing Kaylee stuff. When you got multiple Kayleys talking to each other, that's a lot. And the question is, why am I watching this? I don't know what the grounding influence is yet in this season. And remember, they've gone beyond the book from what I can tell. And that might be the issue. So I don't know if they're going to ground it at some point. If you really just want to see them do the crazy stuff and you don't really care about the grounding, then, you know, this will work. I will continue to watch it. I don't know if I'm going to finish it, though, if it just keeps being, you know, all over the place. Got it. Okay. And now we move on to our TV sneak peeks. A why watch that sneak peek? First up, Shining Girls um, premieres on Friday, April 29th, brought to us by Apple TV+. It is an American thriller um, based on a novel called The Shining Girls by Lauren um, Burks. Um, It is starring Elizabeth Moss, Wagner Mora, Jamie Bell, Philippa So. Uh, Amy Burnerman. Um, and yeah, we saw this with uh, South by Southwest, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I saw the first four episodes. Um, and, you know, so you can look that up on our website if you want to uh, hear my thoughts. And I, I mentioned in that review, producer, that there was a reason why at that moment Apple TV Plus had the four of the eight episodes available to review. Uh Because there's something you get to at the end of episode four and you go, oh, okay. Because what's happening is Elizabeth plays Kirby. Kirby was assaulted, should be dead, but survived. But Kirby can't tell what's real and what's not. Things seem to change. Her mother is one way at one time and then changes to another way at a different time, inexplicably. Maybe she has a pet, maybe she doesn't. Maybe she has a husband, maybe she doesn't. Is she a reporter or is she working at the archive at the Chicago Sun-Times? So you're kind of like, wait, is there something wrong with her, right? Does she need some help to piece all of the things together and get back to reality? Or is there an external force here? Because Jamie Bell plays Harper, who we see met a little girl, like in the 70s or whenever, and now we're, he looks the same? How's this possible? Kirby wants to know that as well. Now, at the paper is a reporter, a great reporter, but he has issues. 
Dan, played by Wagner. And of course, the two of them get together to investigate this. But can Dan trust what she's saying? Is there going to be a reason for him to trust that? Now, Erica Alexander plays their boss at the paper. How does she get roped into this? Because if you're running a paper, you have to have certain ethics and standards in place. And Amy Brenneman plays Kirby's mother, Rachel. Now, when it comes to Philippa Sue's character, Jen Suk, she works at like the observatory. She's that kind of scientist and she's preparing for this groundbreaking presentation, something she's seen in the skies, you know, in space and all that kind of stuff. What does she have to do with this? What? Well, there's a reason, if you keep watching, why she's involved. She explains some of the things that's going on with Kirby via science, and she is going to have a personal connection. But what does that mean? How does all of this work? How is Harper able to do what he's been doing? Just going around killing people. Now, I've finished this since, okay? Now, the thing is, when you get to episode four, as I mentioned at South by Southwest, you go, oh, okay, this is interesting. And I was also saying in that review that it needed a bit more, a little more urgency, a little more of a threat. Now in finishing it, I still go, okay, it's interesting, but did they develop the concept enough? Is it a fully realized thought? So is there enough to keep your attention throughout all eight episodes? Once you get to the end, once I did, I was kind of like, okay, (laughs) like it's not bad at all. And I said, this was a win for Apple TV plus based on the first four episodes. The second half of it, mm, you you think they're going to go a little further than they do. And when you have this kind of concept, you got to be really careful. So, I mean, they have a wonderful cast. It just kind of fizzles out in the end. Once you know what's happening and you start to see it and you go, okay, like add to that. It's not quite what they did. Um, But there you go. I mean, you know, that's Shining Girls. If you like another one of these high concept things, you know, that's fine. I mean, the flight attendant was high concept, which we just talked about. You know, with that Russian doll comes to mind, but the flight attendant is as crazy. So like, if you don't want something as crazy as that, then you would watch that. Shining Girls, another high concept thing, but that it's not fun like that stuff. It's definitely a drama. Uh, So you have to ask yourself, is that what you're interested in? I mean, we have this out of range show we talked about producer on Mm -hmm. Prime Video. You know, when when they take something that seems straightforward and tweak it. Twist it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right. Cool. Um, Last in our TV sneak peek, (laughs) we got good old Ozark back. The... Mm -hmm. A second part of the fourth and final season premieres on Friday, April 29th. Um, it's it's Ozark, but for people who don't know what Ozark is, it is an American crime drama brought to us by Netflix again, starring Jason Bateman, Laura Lenny, and a whole bunch of other people. And uh, Critic, what do you think about the second half? And is it worth is it worth watching? because mm. it's all over yeah um and you know netflix is telling all critics don't talk about that finale 
until a certain date. We ain't at that date yet. I ain't talking about the finale. I wouldn't anyway. Because uh, we don't spoil. But I'll say something. Okay. <laughs> that won't break Ooh. the embargo. <laughs> now, after part one of season four, remember we have Javi, the nephew of Navarro, the Mexican drug cartel leader. Navarro is in custody. Javi has taken over. What's going on with that? Because Javi is not as discerning as his uncle. Now, he did go to business school and all of that, but that doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. He's impulsive. He doesn't like you crossing him. Some of the things that his uncle just let slide for a moment, he won't. And that's what led up to the end of the first part. Now, that end of the first part also involved Ruth, of course. Uh, Now, Ruth, played by two-time Emmy Award winner for this role, Julia Garner. Remember, she was connected to the Bird's brother. Well, just to the Bird's in general, because Marty, played by Jason, took her under his wing from the beginning of the show, you know, showed her how to clean money and, you know, all this stuff, you know, with their casino and so on and so forth. And then Marty's wife, Wendy, played by Laura Linney. Her brother is Ben. And Ben and Ruth, you know, they really liked each other. But what happened to Ben? He's out of the picture. How? Also, Ruth has two cousins, one of whom she's really close with, Wyatt. But Wyatt got involved with Darlene, you know, that crazy woman who, you know, owned the poppy field and all that stuff after her husband died. How did her husband die? After her husband died. So why is with her? Very strange. And she's off her rocker. Or was. You know what that means if you saw part one. Mm-hmm. So because of Wyatt and Darlene being out of the picture, you know, they were married or whatever, getting married. I don't remember in part one and now they're gone. Ruth, what does that mean for her? Because Darlene owned assets. What does that mean? How can Ruth leverage that? And what does that mean after Ben and Wyatt, what happened to them? What does that mean for Ruth in regard to the birds? Now also, connecting all of them is Shaw Medical. Because remember, the birds want to get out of this clean. They just want to get out of this life and go to a lawful life with power. (laughs) (laughs) And Wendy was involved in politics. She wants to get back into it, but do it nice and clean. So Shaw Medical is a way to get some money, leverage the cartel drugs, and then eventually get out. But you can't control all of these moving parts. That's the issue. Now, don't forget that the FBI, they are involved as well. Because there was an FBI agent who was on to them, but like Marty, thought he was smart, wanted him to join the FBI, and so on. Say, hey, we will forgive you of all of this. You might have to do a little bit of time. You'll get out. You'll be fine. Maya is her name, but now she's on the outs at the FBI. Whose fault is that? And who does she blame? There's also this pesky investigator who's still on the prowl because Wendy's father who's a piece of work. Wendy doesn't want to see him, hear from him, even hear his name. 
Well, his son is missing, Ben. He wants to figure out what happened to him. The investigator is the one to find out. And he was a Chicago police detective. Why isn't he anymore? And that was his dream job. But for him, he smells a rat. He doesn't know quite what's going on, but something's up. And he keeps popping up. Now, another person who pops up from the past is Rachel. Remember, she, you know, left the Ozarks. And we see where she is now. And someone finds her and brings her back. Now, if you're going, who's Rachel? She was the troubled uh, Blue Cat Lodge and bar owner. She partnered with Marty. So now in her returning, how does she return? Why does she return? What does she think about these people in the Ozarks? It's a tangled web that has been woven. Now, the thing is, it always comes back to Marty and Wendy. That's where it started. And remember, it started because Marty had a partner who was doing dirty business that he didn't know about involving the cartel. This was not Marty's choice. He had to figure out a way out of it to keep himself and his family safe. So remember, the birds didn't ask for this life. Now, the thing is in this show, everybody blames the birds. It's like hilarious. All these criminals and unsavories, because that's what you are, including you, Ruth. I don't care who your father was, who your family is, who were their fathers. Like, I'm sick and tired of hearing it. You're criminals and unsavories. And that's fine. <laughs> but my problem is, if you're that, I don't want to hear you say it, oh, but they're worse. Mm. No. I'm just, I don't want to hear it. And in this part, it was a, it was so much of it produced that I couldn't take it. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness. It, it was, it, like, it derailed. Oh. Like, at the end of part one, the final episode, I kind of felt, I was like, ooh, they kind of, like, the, they had a great grip on it. That whole part. I was like, well, this is cooking. Quokle. But then, in that final episode, I was kind of like, hmm. And then when you start this second part, I was like, oh, no, they've gotten back on track. I was like, wait, is this masterful? I mean, outside of they have a killer Mike cameo. I'm like, why is he in the show? It just, why, why, why bother? Why are you doing this? Like, why is he here? Why am I thinking about Killer Mike now instead of, oh, it's just weird. But outside of that, I was like, hmm, whoa. And they, you know, they they have a great selection of rap. Like, when rap was in his heyday, like, you know, they're using some Illmatic in this part. I was just like, all right, y'all got me. And also, early on in part two, when you watch Jason and Laura work, like it's just brilliant casting the way they work off of each other. Because Jason plays Marty the way he should be, compact and cerebral, while Laura as Wendy is slippery and ready to strike. It's like, it, like the dance, it's like there, there's a scene early on where they're just talking and then you could just see that. Mm -hmm. You can see how, you know, it's almost like Marty's the wall. Mm. And Wendy's trying to find a hole that bouncing off of it. It's just beautiful work. Mm -hmm. But then you get Ruth and her thing about Ben. I don't care. Okay. And then the daddy shows up. Mm. He's a little more interesting, but unnecessary. It's enough with Marty and Wendy. 
their kids, I can't even, especially that Jonah. Like, I can't. <laughs> I just, I cannot. Your life is on the line because of your father's business partner. That's how it's like, I, I just, mm-hmm. like, give me a break. So like you'll be it's sidetracking with all these. I don't care about Ruth and the kids and who have and Ben and Wyatt and and the father and whoever else. What I care about is Marty and Wendy, the cartel hierarchy. You'll see what happens there. I didn't give it away. A certain actor shows up, and I was like, well, when you see her, something's gonna happen. Okay. Okay, somebody who was in Queen of the South, I was like, mm-mm. <laughs> She's going to be coming back and back and back and back. You'll see. And their political ambitions, them trying to get out. That's the engine of the show. That's it. Las drogas. And look, they took away Darlene, who is completely crazy. But at least it was something. Because what happened is, and I was watching this, without Darlene, it's more Ruth. Mm. And Ruth, by the way, is one note. A one-note character, not a one-note portrayal. It's only so much that Julie can do when you write it. It's the same. You know what she's going to say before she even says it. It's going to be some, some cursing whoever out. It, like the biggest, baddest cartel boss you'll curse out. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen to this kind of person in the real world? Like how many times is she going to get away with this? It's ridiculous. And you'll see what she does in part two. I'm just saying. I mean, one note, it's like the opening. And you know this producer of something wonderful from uh, The King and I. Mm -hmm. This is a man who speaks with his heart. His heart is not always wise. (laughs) What is that, producer? One note. Uh, See? (laughs) (laughs) Now, if you do write it back, you might not, it might not dawn on you that it's one note, but it is. (laughs) It's one note. It is, and Julia Garner, she plays that one foul and increasingly boring note well. I was over her completely before this part was finished. Frankly, I was over her before that, but really I was just like, okay, forget it, forget it. Because I don't wanna hear hypocritical criminals talking. I just don't, I don't care, I don't care. So it was very frustrating to watch part two, especially after part one, but was it worth it? Well, I think the issue is this producer and I'm coming to a close. I've been ranting in this episode a lot, goodness. So I think what happened is Netflix ordered too many episodes. They really could have just made part of the episode, I'm sorry, season four, one part. They do seven and seven for the two parts, so 14 total. One part, they could have done seven episodes, really, mm-hmm. or 10 max. Just Got do it. a 10 episode season and wrap it up because there's needless repetition, there's sluggishness as we get to the very end. Now, the very, very end made sense to me. I can't talk about it. I won't tell you what that means. But the way there was not satisfying at all. The tagline, by the way, for their final part is the end justifies the means, right? Mm-hmm. Well, not to some of these criminals, hmm. you know, these fragile criminals in this show. And Jason Bateman said this himself, so I'll say it to you. Now, Netflix said, don't cover the final episode. I won't, but I'll tell you what he said about it. Quote, and this is in The Hollywood Reporter, a happy ending, but they're limping. What does that mean Mm -hmm. in the context of Ozark? Mm -hmm. So 
This was one of my uh, favorite shows up until part two of season four. Wow. Um, it's difficult for me to really say, hey, thank you. <laughs> I just, I can't do it. They lost it. They lost it um, in where they were placing their focus. This show has always been ridiculous, but inside the show, it made sense. I was outside the show watching this final part, unfortunately. I think that they swallowed a lot of the great work. Laura Linney was like, as an acting exercise in part one of this final season was killing it. I mean, not that she doesn't always, but mm-hmm. the writing was meeting what her work was. Mm-hmm. It was like some of her stuff with Darlene, like those scenes, it's just, oh, not that she's bad here, but like some of the choices her character makes, it's just like, why is she doing that? Like what she does to try to get her kids back. You'll see, it's just like, what? It's connected to Ben and it's just like, why would she make that decision? Some of the lines they were saying was just like, why would you say that? Like, there's no way you would be saying that. Mm-hmm. Because they were they were trying to pull all this stuff together mm-hmm. for the ending. Right. But they didn't need to do all of that. They forgot it's Wendy and Marty. And frankly, we don't care if you don't like them. Because none of y'all are likable. At least they were put into it against their own will. Right. I mean, everybody hates Wendy. It's just like, yeah, okay, yeah, she's a snake, but she needs to be one. And maybe that's her personality, but I don't care. You know, I don't care. Because everybody's like, Marty, is this you? Is this Wendy? Marty, is this you? Is this Wendy? Are you just going to do what she tells you? All right. I mean, if you've come this far with Ozark, I mean, you're going to finish it. Finish it. You know, and it'll depend on how you view things, whether part two rubs you the wrong way as it did for me. I just think it was a letdown. But the very, very end, I was just like, okay. But by then, it was just like, all right. All right. All right, Ozark. So um, on Friday, April 29th, Netflix, you can catch the second half of this show and weigh in on how you feel about the ending. Have you seen any of this, producer Ozark? Yes, most of it. I still have not watched the second half of season three. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I need to finish that and then go. And my, my mom oh my keeps, gosh. I was supposed to finish, um, before cause me and my mom was supposed to watch this last end together. Totally. Um, did not complete the assignment cause I'm mm-hmm. still not finished with season three, but, uh, <laughs> but I did see, I've seen a lot of it and I, I enjoy the show. So, I mean, interesting, interesting, interesting. Mm-hmm. Are you a Ruth fan? Do you go oh, Ruth Langmore? Yeah. I'm with her. Yeah. See, exactly. No, she's, yeah. She annoys me. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, it's like those, those characters are there to get in their way. They're obstacle characters. Mm-hmm. I don't, oh, Ruth, you deserve this. Why? And they'll say, oh, look what she's gone through. There are people who've gone through worse and are better. Why don't they deserve something? They're not fighting for it like Ruth is. Yeah, okay. <laughs> look, you keep cursing out, you know, like. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you just, I mean, at a certain point, it's just like, who are you talking to? And how are you getting away with this? <sighs> Y'all see, you'll see. Yeah, you'll see. all right, so there you have it. You got some uh, some TV, lots of TV options, premieres. You got some season premieres, some series premieres, and some TV shows to come. Until next time, guys. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, 
visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.